0: As America marks the 15th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, there are fewer of us who remember firsthand the horrific events of that day. By some estimates, nearly one out of five people in the U.S. have birthdays after the attacks of September 11, 2001. That means they didn't hear or see the planes crashing into the World Trade Center buildings, the towers collapsing, or the people running for their lives. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That looks like a second plane. They didn't hear the sounds of the emergency beacons chirping from within the pile of rubble, each indicating a dead firefighter or police officer. Another estimate says more than 25% of the country was six years old or under or had not yet been born. Like these youngsters, they may have a faint memory of hearing adults talking about 9-11 or they might have seen something on TV, but they couldn't comprehend what was really happening.
1: I would have been four years old See, 2001 September 9th, it would have been the day after my birthday. I was 3 years old. I knew people got hurt, but I didn't quite understand it. I knew that it wasn't a good thing because everyone around me was really sad and so I didn't really know what to do. I vaguely remember, but um I do remember early dismissal.
0: That's one thing. My mom picked me up in tears. And I mean, you know when you're in kindergarten you just don't really think much of it. In 1941 when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt called it a day that will live in infamy. But now in 2016, it's remembered firsthand by fewer than one in 10 Americans. So with each 9-11 anniversary that passes, as a smaller and smaller number of Americans actually remembers the day firsthand, it makes the jobs of historians and teachers even more important, like this teacher in Florida. Typically, I show a short film that's student-made, which is really powerful, and then lead a discussion about how the event transformed America and how... Key events like 9-11 can really change the history of the country almost immediately and potentially forever. Today, we've had a national tragedy. So how do we ensure that Americans remember 9-11? Purdue University history professor Caroline Janney may have some answers and advice. She joins me via Skype from West Lafayette, Indiana. Professor Janney, should we be concerned about fading memories of 9-11?
1: It's not concerning. It's it's simply the way that, that history and passage of time works that every generation tells the next generation about pivotal events. And so it's not um, not unusual at all that, for example, my students today were kindergartners or some even preschoolers when the 9-11 attacks happened. And what they know about it comes not just through what they might read in a, in a textbook or an account, but what they've been told by generations that came before them by their parents or or teachers about what happened.
0: The uh, interesting thing that you say is that over time, um, memories shift and things that happen between then and now sort of alter the way we look at things or at least filter the way we look at things. What do you mean by that?
1: That's neither good nor bad. It's simply a product of the world that we live in that if we try to recapture that moment and try to recount exactly what happened that day September 11th, 2001, for those of us who either watched on television or were were at ground zero, we can't go back to that exact moment in time without filtering everything that has happened since then, whether that be President Bush's proclamation that it was a war on terror or whether um, whether it be Iraq and Afghanistan, all of those things that have happened now shape how we perceive how we experience that particular day. This
0: is one of those events in our lifetime that you know every generation has an event like this. Do you find that others, like for instance, those who remember were alive when JFK was assassinated or during Pearl Harbor, have you seen the same thing through history uh, in your research?
1: Right, absolutely. They're, these are touchstone touchstone events that each generation can tell you, and there's something so traumatic about that particular moment that sears into our memories um, particulars, details about a particular day, where we were, maybe what we were wearing, what the sky looked like, what exactly we were doing in kind of minute detail. And whether it's, you know, my mother's generation, who can tell you exactly where she was during JFK's assassination, or my own childhood, remembering watching the, the Challenger explode. Those are all moments that allow us to connect with people of our generation and share something in common, even though we might have been far apart in distance and space at those particular moments, it allows us to to allows us to connect and feel, um, feel a common bond of, of a sense of our place in history.
0: And so do then we, those of us who were alive during these events, do we have an obligation to share those memories with people who were not here
1: I don't know if it's so much of an obligation, but I think it's again, human nature to do so. And in doing so, we add to their understanding, we add to a collective understanding of of whether it's what it meant to be a United States citizen during that time or what it meant to be a student whatever one's particular role, role was at that time that we contribute to a, a larger understanding by sharing those stories
0: does the impact of that day of 911 uh, does it lose some of its power because so many people were not alive when it happened and don't remember it
1: well it doesn't have the same emotional resonance for for those people who have come of age after or who who weren't alive at the time they they don't have that same visceral response that those of us that that were alive still do there's there's not that same emotion but that doesn't mean that the day is any less important in the the changes that followed the political social cultural changes that followed it just simply doesn't resonate on the personal level in the same way that it does for those of us who were who experienced it in some capacity
0: there's a lot of discussion going on these days in the education community about how you teach something to a younger uh, audience, a younger group of people who don't have memories of something like that? Do you show them the videos? Do you uh, give them all of the information in all of the detail possible?
1: So this is a discussion that generations, for hundreds of years, generations have have had these discussions. The Civil War generation talked about whether they should or shouldn't tell their children and grandchildren about the atrocities on the battlefield and what it was like to have experienced that. This is not a new debate. We simply have new technologies that allow us to um replay and revisit things in a way that earlier generations did not. But the, the fact of storytelling, of, of, of sharing with the next generation details, sometimes grisly details and traumatic details of events, that's not a new phenomenon.
0: We have something different though. I think maybe it started with the Kennedy assassination. We saw the video of that. But it, for 9-11, we really saw everything in all of its uh, gory detail, all of those videos. Does that present a different challenge?
1: It it does, and it also makes people who weren't either physically there in two thousand one, or who meaning that were maybe in California or Texas or someplace else, or people who were not alive at the time or or not old enough to comprehend what was going on to feel like they were there. So it does shape by being able to watch um, the action of things does give people a sense of, of being part of something in a way that, that earlier generations would not have had.
0: As an historian, you probably know this firsthand, but it's often hard to find trustworthy sources of, of history. And sometimes people f- put stuff online and make history change, right?
1: Well, there's uh, that's intentional and unintentional sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think people... They often perceive reality different than, than others who might have been in the same place and time. This is the problem that, that we often hear lawyers talk about with witnesses in, in a court case. Um, that's part of human nature. It doesn't necessarily mean that someone is lying or not telling the truth. It's just our different experiences shape the way that we perceive things. And that's, that's always been the case. But people also telling stories over time emphasize different aspects. And it depends on their motives, on their point of view. That doesn't make it unreliable. It simply makes it that that's the, the fun and challenge of being a historian is trying to put those pieces together and find um, what the, the reality was for most people at any given point in time.
0: I know you've written uh, about the Civil War. That's uh, one of your areas of expertise. Uh, depending on who you talk to, you probably get a different story about the Civil War as, as you pass that down, right?
1: Absolutely. And that's still the case today. Uh, When I I go to places in the South and talk about things, you know, again, personal stories, family stories that have been shared um, down through the generations shapes the way that people understand as opposed to um, communities where um, there's much more urban communities that that don't have that same tie to the past. The nature of the way in which memory shapes the way that we understand our world is, is, is certainly something that is powerful when it comes to remembering the Civil War.
0: So if you were guiding teachers and parents as this anniversary uh, approaches, how would you tell them to or maybe give them advice about how to share this history?
1: It depends on on the age. If we're talking high schoolers, you know, I, I think it's appropriate to sit back and not only talk about what Happened that day by using primary source accounts, which we now can right? we can can look at newspaper reports We can look at footage. We can look at congressional reports and trying to piece those those Bits of evidence together to try to understand what happened but also I think what's what's really fascinating to me is uh, to look at the ways in which Discussions of what happened on 9-11 have been used by different political parties by different groups Um what what? How do they, how do they use the past consciously and unconsciously for their contemporary agendas?
0: Your work is very important. My grandfather was in World War II, and I remember him always telling me, he says, you know, one of these days we'll all be gone, and it's up to you to remember. Um, what happens when all of us who were alive that day are gone? Uh, do we make sure that we just put the facts down as best we can?
1: Well, the individual memories are gone, right? There's all those individual people. They're no longer there to share their memories. But what's happened is a collective memory and it becomes part of the American conscious, part of the, the popular notion of what happened, just like with with Pearl Harbor or any other. Um, important date in American history, we can all talk about it as if we have a common understanding in part because of things that were, were written down, but in part because of stories that have been told and it becomes the way in which we conceive of the world in which we live.
0: It's one of those events, however, that'll probably never be forgotten though,
1: right? Right. And, and that's, there's a very conscious effort on the part of those who experienced it and, and others to make sure that it's not forgotten. Uh, The, the monument, at Ground Zero is the the biggest case in point of this, of making sure that that the future generations don't don't forget, don't overlook what happened, even if they don't have a personal memory of that particular day.
0: And for people who weren't here at that time, is it? Uh, I know every year we see kids who weren't even born yet um, marking the anniversary, doing things for either their community or some sort of social project. Do you encourage those mm-hmm. things as a good way to remember history?
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's important markers of looking at, you know, how something so traumatic, something so tragic altered the course of the United States, United States history. We still see it playing out today and being conscious of those moments. And, you know, sometimes they are big moments like 9-11 and sometimes they're smaller moments of sit-ins in the 1960s and otherwise. But but these, something like nine eleven does give us a, an opportunity to reflect. And that is is really what we should be doing, trying to learn from the past, understand how we got there and how we got to where we are today.
0: You'll often hear people say history repeats itself if you don't learn from it. Um, is that true?
1: Yes and no. no. Um, I think there are, the reason to study history is in large part because of the lessons to be learned in the sense of not that individual aspects of history repeat themselves, but we can see patterns and we study patterns and change in order to prevent some things from happening in the future or to to change the, the response that people might have. So being conscious and aware of why things happened in the past when they happened um, isn't necessarily to prevent um, history from repeating itself as the adage goes. But to give us a a clearer sense and a better direction of how we might make choices in our contemporary lives.
0: How should we interact with each other, these groups of people that were here and those who were not? Do if, for instance, young people who aren't as as emotional as we hope or want them to be, should we be critical of that and, and vice versa?
1: Absolutely not. We can't expect them to have they don't have the same connection that people who were alive and and who are able to reflect on what happened that day. It's it's really unfair to critique um, the younger generation for not having the same connection. It's simply they've come of age experiencing a whole different um, atmosphere. They've come of age in a war on terror. And much like some of us came of age during the Cold War. And so that is simply where they are in the the cycle of history. And so being critical gets us nowhere.
0: As a history professor, when you come in and you know that everybody who's sitting in front of you wasn't alive during that point, is that something that invigorates you and challenges you? Or do you say, oh, where do I start?
1: It gives me a sense of opportunity to talk about things and also to have them reflect on what they know and how they know what they know. And it's, it's always wonderful when I have a classroom where there are um, people of different generations that can then share different perspectives and, and from different backgrounds and, and different places in the country. That's one of the wonderful things about teaching at Purdue is that we have this um, nice diversity that allows us to pull in those, those different opinions and let people realize whether it's age or gender or race or ethnicity that brings them to their different viewpoint, that that's precisely the point of education, is learning from one another.
0: Thank you for your time. I appreciate you uh, making time for me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Purdue University history professor Caroline Janney is the author of Remembering the Civil War, Reunion and the Limits of Reconciliation, and Burying the Dead, But Not the Past, Ladies Memorial Associations and the Lost Cause. She's also the past president of the Society of Civil War Historians. And I'm Steve Grizanich on 720 WGN and WGN+.